The Athletic. Totally Football Show. Today, FA Cup and Premier League with more tight ties and battles for breathing space than that Everton post-protester. FA Cup, Liverpool's Forest Thumb, while it's Vieira who keeps his long run going. League, Spurs putting the whammers on the hammers, while Arsenal praise the party but get in trouble for celebrating at the Villa, like the Tories in lockdown. All that plus quarter-final action in the inter-totally, it's the Totally Football Show in association with Paddy Power. Monday 21st of March and good morning stroke hello to you listener. Thank you so much for joining us on The Totally. Uh, we have with us today uh, Daniel Story. No regrets, Daniel. No regrets. All right. Beaming, meanwhile, back from Crystal Palace, it's Don Firefield. Good morning, James. How are you? Good morning. I'm very well, thanks. These are the days you'll look back on, Dom. I, that's exactly what I said to my 13-year-old son yesterday. What did he reply? He just looked at me blankly and played Xbox on his phone. Brilliant. Kids say. Oh, Adrian Clark's with us as well. Adrian, on the run from the celebration police. <laughs> I, I do hope that Dom didn't celebrate too hard. I hope he didn't celebrate like they won the cup yesterday. I just want to make sure make sure he, he it was you know, he got the right perspective in terms of right. his celebration. Yeah. Adrian's <laughs> on a charge of enjoying Arsenal's win at Villa. Mate, it was Villa. <laughs> If you can't enjoy winning a football match, let's just give up. Let's just we can't enjoy being on this pod and celebrate, you know, celebrate being involved in this this wonderful establishment. What you know, what's the point? What indeed? Well, that's a big question. Not sure if it's one we can answer in the course of today's show, but what we can talk about is a weekend split down the middle. Four games in the Premier League, four, they call them quarterfinals, in the FA Cup. Saturday lunchtime in the cup, Chelsea beat Borough 2-0 on Sunday. Palace handed Everton their biggest cup defeat since January 1955, 4-0 at Selhurst Park. Southampton lost 4-1 to Man City and Nottingham Forest Cup run came to an end at the hands of Liverpool, who were 1-0 winners at the city ground. The draw then sees, uh, well, it's all Premier League. You've got the top three plus Palace in the semi-finals. Palace take on Chelsea in the Dom Fifield derby. We'll be hearing a lot about that, Dom. I can hardly wait. Yeah. <laughs> and Man City get Liverpool one week after facing them in the league. Crikey. All right, well, let's do the quarterfinals then. Let's begin with events at the city ground. Daniel, you were there and the Forest fans were in good voice. Yeah, they were. It was a, 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 a cracking atmosphere. It really was. Um, there's a kind of weird pre-match feeling amongst Forest supporters that we, we absolutely mustn't act like underdogs because... You know, we are still a big club, remember, and we will have days like this again, and therefore we shouldn't act like we're a you know a League Two team visiting a Premier League team in the cup. And yet, the players come onto the pitch, and Liverpool have made seven changes, and they are still categorically better player for player. And great atmosphere. I said I'd have no regrets. I didn't have any regrets in the kind of cold light of Monday morning, but they did create chances, and right. you know, they were. Four, I think Liverpool were by far the better team in the first half, and probably deserved to be ahead at, at the break. For me, you know, missed that one on one. But after that, Forest didn't play with any fear. They have this pattern under Steve Cooper where they they try and start quickly, 
get through to about 50 minutes and just kind of hold it at a draw and then have 30 or 40 minutes where they just go at teams and try and score the majority of their goals. And that's pretty much what they tried to do. And they did, they did most of that other than scoring the goal. Which do you most not have regrets about? Is it Philip Zinkernagel's uh, <laughs> miss or Ryan Yates not dragging his leg a bit better? Because that uh, was there. I, I, don't think I mean, it was, it was there for him. Yeah, right? I don't think it was. Yeah, I don't think it was a penalty. I think he initiated the contact. I think if Allison had moved his glove up, maybe, but I don't think it was a penalty. Uh, yeah, the Zinkernagel miss is the is the one. Forest have actually missed pretty much that exact same chance in two of their last three games. And in both of those, from one of them, they, they scored the rebound against QPR and the other, they scored about a minute later to, to kill the game off anyway. So they do have a habit of that at the moment. It's been different players each time. But yeah, just the fact that, you know, basically a minute, a minute and a half later, Jota kind of just stays on side, I think it's fair to say, and, and scores. And that, that felt so... Um, kind of categorical for the game because that's what we're always worried about. If you if you don't mm-hmm. take chances against better teams, they will score on eventually. That that's what Liverpool do. That's what they did to Arsenal just a few days before, eh, Adrian? Yeah, very. Yeah, they're very efficient, very ruthless. On, on yeah, they're an outstanding team. Even even their reserves. I, I know they were depleted here, Liverpool. But if the majority of Premier League sides to put up a performance like that against them. I think they would have been quite satisfied, genuinely. I, th- I think Steve Cooper has turned what I thought was one of the most boring, lifeless championship teams into one that looks ready to compete with Premier League teams. It's, it's brilliant what he's done. And no wonder there's a great atmosphere. No wonder Mull of Kintyre was, was belted out before kickoff and at half-time as well. There is something brewing at the city ground and... And the manager has, has had a transformational effect. And, and I think, Dan, you had the right term there in, in terms of fearless. It, they, they, they don't fear anybody now. It's about them and what they do. And they make life really hard for whoever they come across. Ask Arsenal, ask Leicester. And, and Jurgen Klopp was, was effusive in his praise as well, wasn't he? So, yeah, Forrest may have lost this, but, but I think good times are around the corner. Well, well Daniel says days like this again... But when, Daniel, do you think, will Liverpool be visiting the city ground next season in the league? And if not, which people are you most worried about not being there for you next time around? Well, that's the uh, that's the the kind of the fear that lies within every Forest supporter, and that we didn't expect to get promoted this season. We had to put one point from the first seven games, and everyone kind of thought that even staying up would be the aim. That's clearly all now shifted, and. In terms of games played or points per games won, Forrester, I think, fourth in the league now. Um, they are still eighth or ninth because other teams have played more and that, that hectic schedule between now and May will test them. But they now expect to get into the playoffs. Um, Forrest have, have never even won a playoff semi-final uh, and we found fairly intricate ways of, of avoiding doing so. So uh, that's one ghost. And the other ghost is, 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 as you mentioned, in the summer because I think Brennan Johnson may well leave Lewis Graben is um, his contracts running down. Jed Spence is on loan. James Garner's on loan. Zinkenagel's on loan. Um, so there's a, a there's an easy way that squad gets broken up. Um, the the flip side to that, and to end hopefully on a positive, is that with Cooper there, 
his record with young players with the England under-17s and at Liverpool and at Swansea suggests that now I think Forest are probably a natural home for those Premier League loan players, which for a long time they you know they were basically the opposite. Mm. Klopp loved loved his visit. I think most people watching this game who hadn't spent a lot of time watching Forest came away thinking it would be great to see uh, this club back in the Premier League. That's a really it's a weird thing that because I think probably the fans of any football fan who's probably 35 plus if you ask them to name a kind of your ideal 20 Premier League teams I think Forest probably are in there for most people and and for Forest fans that's that's, that's obviously a compliment but it's also it kind of weighs around our neck because you know we haven't been there since 1999 which is you know, there's a heck of a lot of teams have played in the Premier League since Forest have and we've obviously played in League One more recently than the Premier League so mm. um it's, it's yeah. It's it, the compliments are nice, the praise is nice, but we have to make good on that. Otherwise, mm. it just it feels a bit accidentally patronising. Right, you're one of only seven football league clubs. Is that right to never make it to the new Wembley as well? Although yeah, that could yeah. change. That could change. All right, yeah. uh, Liverpool are heading to Wembley. Quadruple is still on for Liverpool, having notched up their seventh away victory in a row in all competitions, and they're going to be facing Man City. As I mentioned, extraordinary run. Of fixtures, they've got City in the league, then the second leg of their uh, Champions League draw against Benfica. City, meanwhile, will be playing Atletico Madrid, and then they go again in the cup. Extraordinary. Uh, Man City, meanwhile, who are flexing their muscles down at St Mary's uh, on Sunday afternoon, enjoying a polite 2 1 lead, and then brought on Mares and Phil Foden. Oh my word, what a hit from Phil Foden! Brilliant, and I, I, I mean, City continue to have this ability to, when you, when your when your team is playing against them, and I'm, I'm telling this as a fan as opposed to a player, but you, you you feel as if they must have 13 players on the pitch at any one time. There, there was a period in the in the game they played at Sellers the, the previous week, with this goalless draw, creditable point for Palace, fantastic point for Palace, but at one point that six City players, Mares, Foden, Grealish, um, Bernardo Silva. All, all sort of touch the ball in an intricate move. And I'm thinking, bloody hell, I didn't realise all these guys were playing. They can't all be on the pitch at one time. This is absolutely unfair. This is, this is seriously not, shouldn't happen. And I think that, I mean, they just they probably do a result against Southampton, who had done so well against them in the in the two Premier League fixtures mm. this season. But but they just dismantled them. Um, the, the tiniest little hint of a mistake, Sterling scores and ex- they exploit it and... You know, once you're chasing a game against them, admittedly they equalise. But once you once you you feel as if they've built up a head of steam, then there's no containing them. They're unbelievable. Mm. The, yeah, when you play against a team like Man City or Liverpool, it happened to Arsenal the other day, didn't it? You can play well for for the majority of the game, but if you are not mistake free, then you are highly unlikely to win the match. For me, this one swung on on two mistakes from the centre half, Stevens. For that first goal, and then Salisu, he's going nowhere. He's just going down the line. Just stay on your feet, make him turn back. It's not a dangerous situation, and for him to sort of stick a leg out with a half tackle there was was a really bad decision, and it cost cost Southampton. And then obviously we we got the showboating at the end, the clean, the cleanest hit you'll ever see from Foden, and and I got a lot of time for the Mares sort of giving the eyes um, strike. To the goalkeeper, um, yeah, given the eyes hitting in the near post, that was that was tremendous. So, um, yeah, flattering, I think, on City a little bit, but but they're class told. 
Hmm. Uh, given their issues with centre-backs, uh, Saints, it was interesting that Jan Benarek didn't play and Ralph Hasenhuttle saying that uh, it's because he felt that his mind was on next week's potential game, well, his next week's game for Poland in the uh, World Cup qualifying playoff final. They'll be facing either Sweden or, or the Czech Republic and that Bednarek didn't seem concentrated and he felt there was a risk he might not really be committed in the game for fear of injury. Yeah, it doesn't. It? I mean, it's obviously a, a, maybe an accidentally or even deliberately revealing thing to say. I, I think mm. these things probably make more of a difference at non-financial elite clubs. You know, next week Senegal are playing Egypt in a World Cup playoff, and lo and behold, neither Mane or Salah were even in the Liverpool <laughs> squad. And we kind of almost don't notice because they pick a front three that has Jota and Firmino, and they bring on Minamino and, and Luis Diaz. So I. Yeah, I'm surprised Hasenhutl said it, I have to say. It feels like one of those things... I mean, Adrian will know more than me, but it, it, it strikes as one of those things that stays in the dressing room, even if you do think it. Um, particularly as, you know, as, as Benrek is now going to have two weeks away to think about <laughs> what his manager just said before he comes back to training. Mm. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, I think that is a bit embarrassing, isn't it? And it, it doesn't... Basically, it's... It send out the message that that the manager thinks I'm more committed to the national team than I am to Southampton. It's yeah, not great. They might have to have a conversation behind the scenes there, and, and maybe yeah, maybe Ralph will, will sort of soften soften his stance a little bit. But it doesn't it doesn't reflect brilliantly on the player because obviously you know Southampton pay his wages etc. And this is the world's greatest cup competition mm. after all. So yeah, he, sh- he should be up for it. Apart from the Intertotally, of course, which reached the quarterfinal <laughs> stage yeah. as well. And what a key match we have in that later on, listener. Uh, just also on this game, interesting kind of sartorial vibe going on with the two managers. Ralph, who'd come from a wedding, whereas uh, Pep had come from his bedroom, I think, after being told to clean it by his mother in his kind of full black, dark Pep emo wear. Looking a little bit, actually, and you'll excuse me for this, but like Billy Corgan out of the Smashing Pumpkins, I thought, as he slouched in his in his chair in, in, in the dugout. But anyway, this doesn't take us anywhere. Let's move on to more <laughs> FA Cup stuff after this. So what do you think about this Jesse Marsh, then? I quite like him. He's American, and American managers never get relegated, do they? That's because there's no relegation in Major League Soccer. Oh, It would be generous to say Leeds definitely won't get relegated, but if you want generous, try Paddy Power's Bet Builder offer and get money back as a free bet if one leg of your fourfold Bet Builder lets you down. Paddy Power! Pre match online Bet Builder bets only. Min odds 1 to 5 per leg. Max free bet £10 per day. Seven day free bet expiry. Excludes enhanced match odds. Eligibility restrictions and T's and C's apply. 18 plus begamblerware.org. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. This is the Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. The Athletic is the only place you can read articles by Daniel Taylor, Amy Lawrence, Phil Hay, James Pierce, Ollie Kay, and the very best football writers around. Opportunity a moment ago was presented 
with a chance to put this tie beyond Everton, and that's what he's done. And Crystal Palace are heading to Wembley. So has sparked Sunday lunchtime. Crystal Palace for Everton nil. Dom, you were there. Mm. It was great. It was great after the first ten minutes. Um, it's 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 been great watching Palace this season. They, they they've they've gone from being quite a dour. Um, oh, we're actually going back to the Forest chat, aren't we? Really, from from the Chris Hewton to uh, Steve Cooper tenure change. I mean, it's it's the squad they had last season would not have been able to play this kind of football. The squad they have this season is is out, is crammed with exciting young, talented players who are really, really comfortable on the ball. They want to accept it in really tight spaces, and they trust their own abilities and skills, skill sets, and and. They're a joy to watch. I mean, that was the first time we'd had Michael Elise, Conor Gallagher, um, Eberichieze and Wilfred Zaha starting a game together. And after the first 10 minutes, when it there was a bit of adjustment, hmm. they just clicked. But I take as much delight watching Tarek Mitchell and, and his progress. And I fully expect him to be in the England squad this week as, uh, as people start dropping out of Gareth Southgate's plans. Um, and Mark Gay, who is already there. And he scored the opening goal, and he's he's just a uh, he's he's young. He's twenty twenty one years old, and he's a leader of men already. He's an absolute inspiration in that in that defence. And they it was an outstanding afternoon. But it's it's thrown up, given that they've now drawn Chelsea. It's it's got various different um, scenarios, obviously, that we need to discuss about that about that game, and not least Conor Gallagher's availability, which mm. which looks as if it's not going to happen because he's on loan from Palace, which is. You know, if that's if that's on loan from Chelsea. Sorry, on loan from Chelsea. Um, I wish she was on loan from Palace. On um, loan from Chelsea, and and, and I, I really, I, maybe there there is a slight possibility there was a clause written into that deal, but I really don't think so. Not not after Chelsea and the Thibaut Courtois experience in the Champions League a few years back. But the other sort of sidetrack to that semi final, which maybe hasn't got quite as much publicity at the moment because no one will talk on the record about it, mm-hmm. is that two of Palace's co-owners. Josh Harris and David Blitzer are currently trying to buy Chelsea, which is a slightly weird scenario. And we don't actually know who they'll be in charge of at that game at Wembley Stadium. And yeah, that, that, there will be implications for Palace as well if they do divest their, their shareholdings at the club after what's almost coming up over six years on, on the board at Palace. Mm. There's a uh, there's a bewildering array of candidates. It's very much a hot topic at the moment. Uh, Chelsea's ownership after the deadline four bids for the club, which passed on uh, last Friday evening, bewildering array of candidates. Matt Slater in a, a certain uh, football journalism website has, has done a brilliant breakdown of the various parties, the kind of runners and riders. You got uh, Woody Johnson of Johnson and Johnson, a former. U.S. ambassador to the U.K. is in there. You've got the True Blue Consortium fronted by John Terry, captain leader legend, looking to add owner uh, to that little tagline, looking to raise uh, part of the money through the sale of uh, crypto-based fans' tokens. Mm. Uh, The Ricketts of the Chicago Cubs, Todd Burley, is it, of the L.A. Dodgers? And as you mentioned, uh, Blitzer and Harris, Palace's co-owners. Crikey. Well, it's got to the situation now where the Rain Group, who are, who are the merchant bank dealing with the sale, are basically considering the offers that they got. And, and there will be more than those that you've just listed. And some of those you've listed, in fairness, are, are not really serious bids, I don't think. 
And for example, the John Terry one is, I think he's, he needs to piggyback on someone else's money because 250 million, even if they got that, isn't going to get anywhere close. Nick Candy's another one. and He's got backing apparently from South Korea, um, largely. But um, these are consortia. A lot of them are taking money from various different sources around the world because it's such a massive amount of money that's required to to purchase the, the reigning European and world champions. But Rain Group will look at them this week. I imagine that by the end of the week, we'll probably be in a situation where they're, they're really only scrutinising three, maybe four bids. And then you'd imagine that they'd, they'd give preferred status to one of those next week. And that is the that is the bid that they would then go to the government and say, please, can we get our special licence to, to progress this bid and, and, and complete the the sale of the of the club but but to be honest at, at the moment where we're at everybody is promising the world mm. all these groups are saying they'll do this they'll do that they've got fans here they've got fans there i think a degree of cynicism about all of it is probably quite useful um let's just see what what comes out because i mean you know rain group <laughs> they, they, they tell us they're not gonna they're not just going for the, the biggest amount of money that's that's being offered but um you know, their priority is to get this sale done. Mm. And uh, surely the biggest amount of money might be the smoothest way of doing this. Often the way it works in our system. All right. Well, more when we know more. Meantime, this game, uh, as you mentioned, you're going to be taking on Chelsea next time around. Did you have Patrick Vieira on your side, who is now unbeaten in his last 19 games in the FA Cup, 15 of them as a player, four now as a manager. And this growing sense of momentum for the Eagles. I've been really impressed with Patrick, I've got to say. I think that injecting youth into the squad was was obviously the chief driver of this change in style. But I think he's been really tactically smart as well. I think earlier on in the season, there were some outstanding uh, performances where where he outwitted the, the opposition manager and, and he continues to shine in this department. And, and Dom was bang on about all the 11 players are now comfy on the ball anywhere on the pitch. They're relaxed. And I think that Vieira has got that calmness about him. You remember him as a player. So calm, wasn't he, to receive the ball anywhere. And I think he's passed that that confidence on to the to the young guys. Um, Don mentioned about the, the, the sort of star quartet of youngsters the first time this started. I looked into how long Eze, Olise and Zaha have spent on the pitch together this season for, for Crystal Palace because... What an exciting trio of dribblers, you know, ball masters, creative players they are. Those three have spent 23 minutes um, together during the season so far ahead of this game. So to go into it, unleash them, I think was was a really exciting decision and it, it paid off. That, the sight of Eze playing football again is is so nice. And I think they're fans of... I mean, he's, he's a very, very likeable a person and and footballer he's a wonderful footballer to watch the way he, he glides around that that field and his he's been very very frustrated that he hasn't been able to get in because he's it's it's a long process recovering from Achilles injury i mean it's 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 10 months since he he he's done he he did the injury uh, in training uh, just at the end of last season and you really normally you might expect them to be out for a year before they're anything approaching their back to their best but I thought there were there were real signs on Sunday that he he was getting there. I mean, okay, he he had to come off with twenty minutes to go or something, but he played with a real intensity. Some of the, the pass that he slipped around the outside for Zaha in the build up to the second goal was superb, and and his his own celebration when that goal went in, 
fist pumping on the edge of the box. I mean, that is just all that pent up frustration coming out and just loving his football again, which is just brilliant to see because, you know, really want good things for him. It's also, it's really smart of Vieira because if you look at the league table, I think Palace got 1.15 points a game last season and they're on, I think, 1.17 points per game this season in the league. So, and he must have known that they were not suddenly going to turn into a top eight or even a top 10 team immediately. So, by changing that style, you obviously buy yourself patience. And then the other way to buy yourself that, that kind of good faith and support is a cup run. So it shows the power of those cut runs. You look at teams like, let's say, like Wolves this season, and they started the season brilliantly. And now it's petering out a little bit because everyone's a bit tired and you know they're losing the odd game. And they don't have that cut run that then becomes the backbone of the season they can then pivot to. Exactly the same with West Ham. By, by staying in the Europa League, you give your, your season that kind of backbone and that spine that takes you know, keeps fans on board. So Mm. fair play to Vieira for that because it would have been very easy to, you know, to go out the cup in the fourth round or something. And yes, they've had a a, a decent enough route to the semi-finals, but good on them for for a Wembley Mm. day. First trip to Wembley since what? Was it the Alan Pardew jig, Dom? It was. Yeah, that would have been the last one, yeah. 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 Crikey. All right. Oh, Everton, by the way. Suffering, as we mentioned, the biggest FA Cup defeat since January 1955 in this game. But perhaps their concerns lie elsewhere in the Premier League. Where Thursday, with just 10 men, they pulled off that massive victory against Newcastle in the Premier League. We'll talk maybe about the Premier League later, but it does leave them three points clear of the bottom three with two games in hand. One of which is against Palace, actually. The other is uh, the Watford match, which should have been played this weekend if they weren't in the Cup. Crikey. Anyway, all right. Well, uh, we mentioned the issues off-field for Chelsea. What about their performance on the field? Just to finish off the FA Cup part of the show, a 2-0 away at uh, Borough on Saturday afternoon. A quick Tuchel in the Cups update. He has now won all 16 knockout ties as Chelsea boss. That doesn't include finals. When you add in his PSG time since the start of the 1920 season, so that's, what, almost three seasons now, 27 cup knockout ties that he's managed. How many has he won? 27. Yikes. That was a really impressive performance at Middlesbrough. They absolutely controlled it. And I thought that would be a potentially quite a difficult occasion. I thought it would be a very volatile atmosphere given what happened in the week. Uh, not many Chelsea supporters present. Um, a real feeling of of everyone against Chelsea, um, but they just bossed it. They were superb. They, uh, real strength and they, you know, they just looked class apart. And I mean, that's pretty ominous for any team that's coming up against them in the cup at any point. (laughs) (laughs) They were, they were calm, weren't they? Like, like Palace were in, in this game. They were just so calm because Borough wanted to press their heads off, didn't they? They really worked hard and Chris Wilder's got a good thing going there at the Riverside and and they were bold and I'd love to see that by the way Forrest and Borough neither side sat on the edge of their box hoping to keep the score down and nick a goal on the count did they they got in the faces of the opposition and tried to tried to close the space and I, and I, and I really admire both approaches um, from, from Wilder and from Cooper but but Chelsea were just too good That it was as simple as that they just calmly played their way through and uh, I thought Mason Mount was was excellent in this game. He made the difference. One of the most intelligent young players I've seen in many, many seasons. He's, uh, he's the real deal, is Mason Mount. Mm. 
But he assisted the first goal. About his 15 attempt at getting Romelu Lukaku to actually put it away. Uh, and then it was Hakim Ziyech on his birthday who made it 2-0 and thus it stayed. In that category of clubs worrying about Chelsea, of course, now are Real Madrid following Friday's draw in Neon. That's who they'll be up against in the Champions League quarterfinals. Real Madrid, who got battered Sunday night. Battered 4-0 by Barcelona. Crikey. Amazing. Yeah. I didn't see the game, actually, because I was was busy doing Bologna Atalanta, as you do. Yeah. (laughs) It's just amazing to me how, uh, and we shouldn't be continually amazed because it happens semi-regularly, but how a supposedly star player in Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang can leave a club Hmm. and he can improve, the club he has left us can improve and the club he joins can improve almost overnight. It's amazing how much that, that clearly that atmosphere and that, the confidence and where the player's at and where the club are at with the player makes such a difference because he looks absolutely reborn at Barcelona. Mm. All right, 4-0. Uh, a pretty epochal victory, that, and one we'll be discussing in the Totally Football Show European edition, which will be out first thing Tuesday. That and the Rome derby. Tammy double whammy Abraham with a... With a brace there, the second of which was an absolute beauty. As for Lorenzo Pellegrini's free kick, I know there have been some free kicks scored this weekend, but I think it's the best I've seen all season, frankly. It's just extraordinary free kick in that derby win. You also have PSG getting done. Uh, further repercussions there, no doubt. Loads of other stuff to be discussed with Jules and uh, Christophe and James Horncastle and Alvaro Romeo. Uh, totally Football League show is out today. Adrian, with you. It is, yeah. It, it will include what I think might be the best free kick of the weekend from, from a guy called James Bree at Luton Town. We'll definitely be talking Luton Town because that would be a, just a crazy story if they were to to somehow nick into the Premier League. Mm, brilliant stuff. Also to mention, Totally Football Show Live, which you can see at The Lowry in Manchester, 19th of April. TheLowry.com for tickets. Michael Cox, Duncan Alexander and Rory Smith on the bill. The Glee Club in Birmingham, that's where we're heading on the 10th of May. Go to glee.co.uk to get your tickets. Michael Cox, Duncan Alexander and Julian Laurent are on the stage for that one. Mm, excellent. Any other FA Cup thoughts or should we just crack on to the Premier League? Listener, they had none. <laughs> Keep listening for Daniel's Story versus Flo Lloyd Hughes in the Inter-Totally Cup, sponsored by Paddy Power. And it's live-ish. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. We're sponsored for this episode of The Totally Football Show by Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform helping you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. 
Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, which is up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. Plus, you can sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. And what's more, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 support is there to help your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Now, because you listen to The Totally Football Show, you can sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash totally, all in lowercase. So go to shopify.com slash totally to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. That's S-H-O-P-I-F-Y dot com slash totally. On Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Smart Speaker, and now ad-free on The Athletic, this is The Totally Football Show with James Richardson. Premier League. Top three were busy elsewhere, of course, this weekend. So what happened in the race for fourth and the battle with the drop? Well... Thursday night, possibly Friday morning by that point, Everton had that late, late 1-0 win over Newcastle, earning themselves some vital breathing space. Uh, Friday, there was more late drama and more bad news for the bottom three as Leeds made an extraordinary comeback from 2-0 down to win 3-2 at Wolves. Crikey. Saturday, calm down Arsenal. It's just a 1-0 win at Villa. And Sunday, Leicester beat Brentford 2-1. And Spurs were victorious 3-1 over West Ham. Where do you want to begin from those four games? Spurs, West Ham? Get the feeling, Adrian, you're nodding, but that wasn't what you were about to say. <laughs> yes, let's, let's start, shall we, All right, with, with Tottenham, West Ham. Because it's, it's back-to-back wins. Yeah, they look better. It's starting to click. I, I do think this was a great time to face West Ham. If ever there was a, hmm. an example of a side that was knackered, physically and mentally, I think it was... The hammers here—they just didn't have any any legs, really, to to cope with Spurs. I also think David Moyes got his selection slightly wrong. He went to a back three in this game, and bringing in Arthur Masuaku—I just don't rate him. I'm sorry, I just—it's not a player that that I think improves West Ham's side. And and it just—they went away from from what's what's worked. I think four nows in particular was has been excellent, particularly on the break. And I thought this was always going to be a match about counter-attacks, two of the best breakaway sides in the division. And he left Fornals, who's scored four goals from counter-attacks this season. That's the most of any Premier League player. Left left him on the bench, which I thought was was an odd call. It was a bit tame as well from West Ham. I noticed they had, had six tackles in the game. This is, you know, this is a, supposed to be a fierce London derby where you're sort of battling for, for top four, but it was all a little bit timid from their mm. end. And, and yeah, Spurs looked so dangerous every time they broke away. It's kind of, I don't want to say all that they've got at the moment, but they look significantly more dangerous, Tottenham, when they're springing a counter-attack than they do at any other stage in a match. Um, but, yeah, they, they did it very well here. And, yeah, Kane's hat-trick of assists was 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 top draw, wasn't it? So yeah, well played Spurs. They look they look a real threat, I think, to Arsenal. Probably the the, the strongest threat at, at this stage. I can see why David Moyes picked a strong side because they were playing a they were playing Tottenham in a London derby, and b if there was a glimmer of a chance of a top four place, then they had to win this one. But I think he picked nine of the same outfielders that had played 120 minutes or started the game against Sevilla. And, and as Adrian says, they look tired. And I think that now has to be that for the Premier League for Moyes. I think he's now going to have to make a choice. And if you ask any West Ham supporter now, they can see that that, that draw mapped against you know elite European clubs, but they've already beaten the competition specialists. So 
in any other season, you'd try and get top six or top seven and you'd keep picking your strongest team in the Premier League. I think he has to sacrifice that now. I think mm. he really has to manage those players to the Europa. They are facing Lyon in the last eight of the Europa League. They could get Barcelona in the semis, potentially even Rangers in the final. A lot of football to be played before that, of course. And meantime here, Spurs, the usual suspects for the, uh, the goals here, uh, came with the assisting uh, son and own goal. Uh, putting the ball away. Uh, Tottenham's third top scorer own goal this season. This time around, uh, coming courtesy of Kurt Zuma and tweet of the weekend from Tom Williams. Not like Kurt Zuma to embarrass himself by kicking things he shouldn't be kicking. Son, though, with his brace, very nice. Very nice, yeah. No, it was, it, yeah, he's, he loves it at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium, doesn't he? He's, he's really lethal and it's boring now, isn't it, talking about this combination, but it is it is tremendous. I, I really enjoyed the last goal, I've got to say, even though it was scored by Tottenham, just a big hoof upfield, a flick on from Harry Kane and Son gets in. For all the sophistication, for all the analysis, for all the sort of data-driven stuff that we, we're so obsessed with these days, it was just... Route one at its, its finest, really. I was looking at, at Harry Kane and thinking, well, this playmaking ability is definitely going to uh, extend his career. I think it's going to give him a lot more longevity because he's a brilliant passer. Um, mm. But is it affecting his finishing? Uh, is he getting into those positions inside the box where he used to? And do Spurs have good enough creators to get him into those positions to to, to score the the tapping, so to speak. And, and that's probably a question for another day. But I looked at the numbers and of all the players to have scored 10 Premier League goals this season, and there are 10 of them, Kane has the worst conversion rate, mm. which I think tells you that the quality of the chance, because I don't believe his finishing has, has gone. I just think that the quality of chances that he now receives uh, are not at the same level as some of the other strikers around the league because he's so busy making things happen for other people, which is kind of interesting. Well, whatever. It does seem to be working for Spurs, who won four out of their last five now in the league. They're fifth. They're one point clear of Man United. They're three behind Arsenal, who have a game in hand on them, but who they'll also be hosting at some point before the end of the season in, in, in what is also a, a game in hand. Uh, let's move on to uh, Arsenal then. Now, to be fair to the Gunners, which is very much what we do here on Totally, on Thursday we called this one potentially Arsenal's biggest game of the season, which sounds like a bit of a reach. However, given the toughness of their fixture list between now and the end of the campaign and the fact they were coming off a defeat and it was vital to get things back on the right track, it was a big one and they got it right, didn't they, Adrian? I did. Yeah, it was a pretty good performance. I thought it was pre- pretty cool on on the ball. They 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 knocked it around nicely. The central midfield was was excellent. I think Thomas Partey has been really good of late in this sort of new role where he's the only proper central midfielder. He seems to have relished it, and he was he was in full control of the match. You know, lovely switches of play. Saka absolutely twisted Ashley Young up, but I think most people might have predicted that, that that might happen. Maybe that's got something to do with Ashley Young's uh, bitter post-match comments about celebrations. I don't know. Classic deflection tactic, I think, from from him. Um, but yeah, Arsenal were 
what what impressed me most about Arsenal in the, in the game was their control. They they mm. knew exactly what they were doing and they just went about went about it in a really calm way. And Villa had nothing. I thought Villa were really really poor on the day. Hmm. You were talking about Chelsea controlling things at, at Borough. It was it felt very similar here. They restricted Villa to no shots at all for over an hour, and I think no shots on target until the last kick of the game. So pretty impressive stuff. But guys, Saka with the only goal of the match and Bernd Leno stepping in for Aaron Ramsdale with uh, a clean sheet as well. All very nice. It was nice to see Ramsdale there as well because um, he, often when a player's injured, they they, they embrace the, the prospect of a rare day off. But mm. yeah, he Especially wanted to travel. an international he wanted... break. Yeah, well, I, th- I think he's out. I think he's going yeah. to be missing for England, unfortunately, which is a blow because I think, I think he has been the best English keeper this season, I think that that Gal Southgate would surely have given him given him a look over the over the coming week. So yeah, it's a real real blow for him. But but yeah, he was there as a cheerleader, and and Leno was good, even though he had, like you say, just one shot to deal mm. with. I thought the crosses that came into the box, he was really decisive. His kicking was excellent, and uh, yeah, this Arsenal squad is really slimmed down. There's not many of them, you know, a couple of kids on the bench every week at the moment, but they are. They are together, I've got to say, and 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 that's probably why you know people are jumping on the bandwagon in terms of them celebrating because I just think that they they're really enjoying enjoying the progress that they're making. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. What what exactly did they do in these celebrations that courted such a pogrom? They didn't do anything beyond celebrating, and I, I mean Ashley Young knows this. Gabby Abonlahor knows this. Um, it isn't that they're celebrating the individual achievement. It's that they're celebrating this kind of maintenance of this mood that seems to be transcending supporters and players and manager and, and coaches that suggests that they aren't, you know, mentally fragile and they aren't allowing defeats to cause knock-on impacts in subsequent games. And, I mean, it's a completely obvious thing to say, but as long as you aren't offending anyone else, you can celebrate mm. however you want. Like, what's the, what's the issue? Yeah, under the the last couple of years under Arsene Wenger, the atmosphere with Arsenal fans was was not good. They would it was divided. There was a Wenger in, Wenger out. It was quite poisonous when the team weren't doing very well. It wasn't a lot better under Unai Emery at the start of Arteta's regime. Obviously, it was okay, but then but then the, no fans were allowed back in. So this is this is the first time in I don't know six years five, six years where the fans are genuinely proud and excited of the team that they're supporting and they're loving it. They're really, really enjoying the football and they're enjoying the fact that so many young players are thriving in the team together at the same time that they want to get behind the team. And and as a footballer, if your fans are giving you that level of support and you're feeling that love, you give it back, don't you? You want to share, You want to. You want to thank them for their support. You want to sharing it. You want to be part of that sort of one, one wider family. So, yeah, they're, they're doing absolutely nothing wrong here, and long may it continue. I think just celebrate harder and harder every mm. single win between now and the end of the season, just to wind everybody else up. That'd be my message. Ha. If I was Mikel Arteta. All right, that Spurs game among them, no doubt. That Spurs game should be fun. Probably going to happen. Three three weekends before the end of the season. That's the kind of likely scenario with other fixtures. Uh, yeah, three points between them at the moment. So were that to be the case at that point, yikes. 
Uh, who's your Who's your top four tip money on? It's Arsenal. I think I've said pretty much all three of the teams in the over the last six weeks, so I'm nice. pretty safe by choosing one of them. But <laughs> I, I think my random generator is landing on Arsenal at the moment. Is it? Yeah, Dom. I think you'd go with the the team that's in form consistently at the moment, and that that seems to be Arsenal. I mean, and, you know, Spurs have won a couple on the bounce, but they've they've done this sequence of win loss win loss for going back months. So um, the momentum seems to be behind Arsenal at the moment. Mm. All right then. Well. Uh, meantime, the bottom three is looking a little bit clearer. Well, with Everton's win against Newcastle and Leeds' remarkable victory at Ellen Road on the Friday evening. Let's let's talk about that. Uh, I mean, these are exciting times for Leeds supporters. Some might point to the red card for Raul Jimenez as the turning point in this game. But any time you come back from 2-0 down with half an hour left in the game, away at Wolves to win 3-2, that's something to be celebrated as well. Yeah, it is. And I, I can't quite work out whether Jesse Marsh is happy to sort of embrace the Leeds chaos post-Bielsa hmm. or that, that existed when he was Bielsa was there. It, whether that's kind of the last thing that will go, so it, we're just seeing the end of it, or whether he's just completely unable to control Leeds and Leeds are chaotic and this is how they'll be until the end of the season for better or for worse. And they were they were they were absolutely dismal in that first 50-55 minutes um, it, I think if Jimenez doesn't get sent off they, they potentially lose that 3 or 4-0 um, but it feels a bit churlish to have a go at a side as you say that have come from 2-0 down to win 3-2 mm. um, I can't think that Marsh is particularly happy with how they're playing obviously he's happy with winning two games in a row no doubt and he's very happy with the spirit of the players and that's one thing that is important because I think some Leeds fans feared that the loss of Bielsa might cause a kind of you know, a loss of sense amongst some of the players of, of you know, their dogmatic manager, but also their kind of mentor and teacher and father figure had gone. That doesn't seem to be the case. You know, you see Calvin Phillips screaming around, limping in the last minute to celebrate a winner. And you, you see that resolve to come back from, you know, to come back from the, the Norwich equaliser and the Wolves 2-0. They're clearly still up for it. There's no doubt about that. But it's so hard to work out whether they're good or bad under Marsh. <laughs> Also hard to work out whether that, say that Rodrigo goal was good or indeed uh, crap 80s football Twitter account is calling to ask for its goal back. I'm, I'm not sure. <laughs> it was amazing, wasn't it? I mean, the goalkeeper should have been conceded two penalties with potentially in the in the build-up and this went complete walkabout come the end and, and Rodrigo's bursting the shot. I think off Connor Cody that went actually flew in off him, but it was oh it's just I mean Sice as well with the slice clearance. It was complete madcap nonsense. But but well what's to do? it was absolutely entrancing to watch. Absolutely incredible game of football to watch and the drama of it all. And I I for one hope that Jesse Marsh embraces the chaos for the foreseeable because it's it's still it's still fantastic. I mean it's it's really difficult for somebody to come in after after X years of, of of Bielsa, and he's 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 got that particular style of football being played, and, and asking him a to to change that style into something that he wants, but also to to pick players up off the floor. I mean, they, they, their results have been so awful, um, and the performance is so so shapeless for for such a long period of time that that I think it's 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 really a a pre-season job transforming Leeds United. You need you need a whole summer just to work at it, and that was presumably the original plan that Marsh would be coming in, at, you know, and being given a, a time to work and train the players in his own in his own style. But 
yeah, to, to pick those two two results up very, very timely, and it does give them a bit of a bit of breathing space. Um, and you don't get breathing space in, in games with Leeds anymore because it's just so much happening all the time. <laughs> you love to see it, don't you? It's it's, yeah, it's, it's pure fantastic. entertainment. And and I just thought that Wolves played their part in the entertainment with a classic batting collapse, didn't they? It was it was it was exactly that, wasn't it? They conceded one, and it was like, uh oh. And then they just were afraid to just pass the ball or do anything with everything. There was a complete panic and, and Leeds had this unstoppable momentum. And it was yeah one of the most exciting matches I've watched in a long, long time. The catalyst should never have happened, in my opinion, the red card. Sometimes, James, a 50-50 collision happens. It doesn't have to be someone's fault. It doesn't have to be punishable. They both had a right to go for that ball. And they were it was fractions, real fractions. I know people say, if you're out by a fraction, it can be a leg breaker. It can, yeah. But it doesn't mean that it's a red card. It's it's It was a second yellow, a 50, wasn't it, Pokemon's? It's a, yeah, it's a fifty fifty mm. yeah, it's a second yellow. But it wasn't a foul. It was just a fifty fifty, in my opinion, where you know, there's one player comes off worse than than the other potentially. It's if you take that away from the game, then players aren't going to chase. They're not going to chase 50-50s. They're just going to let goalkeepers have it. Is that is that what we really want in football? So I thought that it was poor game understanding, actually, from the referee there. Yeah, I've said it before, but if we can fast-track people who have not made it as footballers but have a football knowledge and, and find a programme to get them careers as referees, I think this would be the way forward because... The standards are so, they're, they're dreadful. What, what, Daniel? I was just wondering if Adrian's going to be a no the, chance. The leader of the <laughs> and, and the vast majority of players would say no chance. Well, I yeah, is there I'm any prospect of such a movement happening, Adrian? Yeah, I think there is. I think there is. I think there are. Um, I think the PFA and uh, and the relevant parties are trying to I don't know the in, intricate details of this but I think they they are looking at this just to find mm. a pathway because for players that don't make it at 18 19 20 21 that come out of football they do look to sort of help players better than they did in my day and and, and set them on their way into new careers and I think that if there can be some kind of fast track system where they can be trained do a degree you know in refereeing so to speak and 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 get experience at a higher level rather than sort of Sunday league then mm. I think that that would help us in 10 years' time. I think that the, the standard of refereeing would be better because the the huge missing ingredient for me is is game understanding. And, and referees, despite their full-time nature, don't seem to be able to, to grasp it. They're, they're so willing to give red cards, so willing to give penalties. And I don't just don't think it's always necessary. I, I'm not sure that game understanding is the issue. Doesn't it require a different kind of brain? being a good footballer to being a good referee and your ability to analyse in real time the I think events involving 22 players running in different directions? I think it's something that can be trained, but I think that the, the fast-track element of it slightly worries me in that if we agree that we've got referees at the moment who are struggling... The reality is, is that they, the, the the process from step one to Premier League is around. Well, it's at least seven or eight years of mm. basically refereeing twice a week in matches and being assessed and having regular tests. 
you know, both fitness tests and, and tests of expertise. And if that's led to a stage where we already at the moment think that we're struggling, I, I honestly, I, I I mean, I've written about it and shouted till I'm blue in the face, but I, I don't think there is an answer. I think we will have a chronic shortage at some point. Meantime, wasn't VAR supposed to be the solution for referees not not getting this kind of thing right? Anyway, I'd love to sit and discuss this. VAR specialists, James. VAR specialists, because you know this elite group are are just sort of they're all as bad as each other. Adrian, you could be a VAR specialist. You don't even have to go on the pitch. Do do you know what? what? I really couldn't. I went. I don't know if you you guys went on it. I went on the sort of day day visit at Stockley Park when it all started, and yeah, it was it, it. under pressure, I think it is a different kettle of fish, to be honest. But but someone's got to be good at it, surely. And, and I don't think this current lot are. There you go. Do you mean me, James and Dom? Yeah, agreed. Maybe. <laughs> yeah. So uh, Leicester beat Brentford 2-1 as well. Uh, Brentford not entirely safe yet, but still with a comfortable margin. Leicester putting together a decent end to the season for once. Uh, there was no Christian Eriksen for Brentford after their recent revival with the day, and he tested positive for COVID prior to this match. Oh, Leicester mentioned West Ham's victory over Sevilla in extra time on Thursday night, although we probably didn't give that the love we should because that was pretty extraordinary. But anyway, Leicester that same evening uh, managing to get past Wren, and that means that they're in the quarters of the Conference League where they will be facing PSV Eindhoven. Hmm. That, that last eight of the conference league is basically as good as the Europa League has felt in Who's in it, Daniel? Seasons. I don't... You've got Ma- Olympic Marseille in there, I think. Yeah, let's, Marseille, let's PSV, them. Roma, Leicester. Mm. Uh, now you're asking me to name them all. Bodo, yes. Glimpt, yeah. Feyenoord, and I'm missing one. Slavia Prague play Feyenoord in the other tie. And if you're not tuning in for that one, surely Roma against Bodo Glimt is the game. Bodo Glimt, who had that extraordinary success away at Celtic, prior to that in the group stages, had faced Roma and beaten them 6-1 in the biggest defeat of Jose Mourinho's career. None of us want to be tuning in to see anything like that happen again, I'm sure. Anyway, just before we move on to perhaps the most significant quarterfinals of the week, uh, does anybody want to throw lots of love to West Ham for one of the biggest victories in recent years for them against Sevilla? What a night at the London Stadium. Yeah, and also, from the moment they scored the first goal, their ability to control the emotion, which was rampant at the London Stadium, like we've not seen before, well, maybe since the 2012 Olympics, um, was, I thought that was remarkably mature, because those European nights, as as a fan and as a journalist, feel different, and I'm sure they feel different as a player, and you can easily get kind of whipped up into a bit of a frenzy and lose your head, but I thought they they were so good for, to say they were playing a team whose that's their exact specialism is mm. hanging on in European ties and making sure they get through. I thought it was sensational. Uh, absolutely fair play to them. Yeah, they uh, played. They played like European seasoned European campaigners, like a, like a team that was used to year in year out being able to manage games at the very highest level and see them out. It it was remarkable actually, um, and yeah, it, it bodes well. For, for the remainder of the games if 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 they can you know summon up the energy because they as we've said already they looked they looked on their knees at the weekend mm. Leon a decent draw I think in the last eight but you can get Julian Laurent's thoughts on that 
on Tuesday in the Totally Football Show European edition. Next up, something big. It's the Intertotally quarterfinals round one. The Race F1 podcast is now part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Formula One is becoming more popular than ever and attracting new audiences after last year's thrilling world championship fight between Max Verstappen and Lewis Hamilton. And this year brings all new cars designed to completely different regulations, conceived to make things even more exciting, creating closer racing and giving more teams and drivers the chance to be at the front. We'll be there every step of the way on the Race F1 podcast for this new era of Formula One, with podcasts released both on the night of the race and covering all the big news stories and talking points in between. Listen on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts from, or ad-free on The Athletic. You're listening to The Totally Football Show in association with Paddy Power. And with Paddy Power, if something doesn't go quite to plan, you can get your money back as a free bet if one leg of your bet builder lets you down. Which is excellent news for Everton fans when they make their Lampardian transition from serious to funny to serious once again. Pre-match bet builders only get your stake back as a free bet. Minimum four plus legs. Maximum free bet is £10. Excludes enhanced match odds. Online exclusives and T's and C's apply. Producer Charlie's written in to mention that Pauk Salonika are also in the Conference League last eight. So there you go. Now, Intertotally Cup quarterfinal number one. Uh, we've got eight contenders left in this competition this year. Amongst them, Dominic Fifield and Daniel Storey here. Also, Charlie Ecrochere, Benji Lanyardo, Julian Laurence, Lindsay Hooper, Duncan Alexander and Flo Lloyd Hughes. With the quarterfinals, the going gets tougher. With tense music... Mm. And an extra sixth question instead of just five. So it's one harder. Mm. Let's meet our first quarter finalists. Up first, he overcame his self-doubt to knock out his nemesis, but how far can the Prince of Perturbation progress? Give it up for Daniel Story. Daniel! Hello, James. I've switched from podcaster mode into quizzer mode. Crikey. Well, let's hope you have a finalist, of course, in 2020. But now, listener, known to everyone as the man who put out Michael Cox. Also, the only contestant to score five out of five in round one this season. You are the man to beat, Daniel. No, I think those questions were generally considered to be slightly easier than everyone else's on the basis I got twos and threes on everyone else's. So mm. We will see. We will see. All right, well, let's meet your opponent, the person bidding to be the person who put out the person who put out Michael Cox. And his opponent... She lived out the totally version of Rocky Four by slaying the Ivan Drago of quizzing in the previous round. Focusing her fury about the London rental market into football know-how, it's Flo Lloyd Hughes. Yeah, Flo Lloyd Hughes, welcome to the Intertotally again. Thank you very much. It's actually a bit embarrassing how 
complaining about landlords has now become mm. my brand um, because I've had so many people ask me about it out and about and it's quite embarrassing. It's quite embarrassing when Joby McEnough asks you how your flat mm. hunt's going. I think maybe that's when you realise <laughs> things have hit rock bottom. That was my next question. How, how's your flat hunt going, Flo? Um, I'm meant to be getting the keys on Saturday to a new right. place. So as long as I haven't been scammed, we, you know, we hope. You could be moving into a semi this week, eh? New semi, semi final. Anyway, if you can get past Daniel, uh, you got a hundred percent record in the competition so far. Played one, one, one after defeating Sasha. Uh, as you probably know, uh, the winner uh, of today's uh, contest will pick up ten pounds, which Paddy Pyre will place on the bed of your choice, with the winnings going to the charity of your choice. Flo, what will your charity be? I'm going to actually go for a different charity this time. I'm going to go for Refuge for this one. Okay, and your bet will be. And my bet is on Turkey to beat Portugal in <sighs> their World Cup playoff. I think they're eight to one on some of the odds I checked. Uh, really? So it's not looking very likely, but thought I'd spice things up anyway. Okay. Daniel, what's your charity and bet? Uh, it's the Trussell Trust, which is a food bank charity. Uh, and my bet is Wales to beat Austria in extra time in their World Cup playoff. All right. Okay. We'll be doing a big thing on the World Cup playoffs, by the way, listener, on a special early show, which we're recording on Wednesday. Not sure when it will reach you. Late Wednesday, perhaps. All right. That's then. But right now, it's all about the questions. Flo, six this time as opposed to five because it's the quarterfinals. Daniel's up first and your questions start thusly, Daniel. Question one. You're going to hear now a famous piece of football commentary played backwards. Can you identify the footballing moment it accompanied? Oh, come on, man. That's so easy. Yeah, thankfully it turns out, oh, is the same forwards and backwards, so... Um, is it I think, I think uh, I quite literally will never hear anything like that again. But I think it's um, Aguero's Martin Tyler. You think correctly. Six Outrageous. straight answers in a row in this year's competition for Daniel's story. Here comes question two. This one's about world record transfers. I'm going to give you the year, the fee, and the two clubs involved. You must name the player who once set the world transfer record. The year is 2000. The clubs are Parma to Lazio, and the fee. Thirty-five and a half million pounds. Uh, oh, year two thousand, Parma to Lazio, thirty-five point five million pounds. Is that Crespo? It is Crespo. Yeah. Boom. Question three: Tony Pulis, Sam Allardyce, Roy Hodgson, Alan Pardew have all managed which current Premier League club? West Brom. Ooh, oh, Daniel. So, oh, Daniel. Premier, Daniel. Do you say Premier League? Oh, no. Oh, Daniel. Oh, my God. I should word. have asked you to read them again. Oh. It's Crystal, Crystal Palace, of course. Palace, yes, obviously. Crystal Palace. Have they all managed West Brom, by the way, or not? Well, well, that's a question yeah, for have. another yeah, day. They have, yeah. <laughs> Shame. Shame. Question four. At which Italian club is Ethan Ampadu on loan from Chelsea? Venezia is correct question five which championship club currently plays at the select car leasing stadium I was there on Saturday oh no don't give me <laughs> clues Flo 
that would have been amazing if I'd have read your tweet that you were there. Um, select car leasing, I, I have to know this. I hate the new ones. I hate the new ones. Uh, I'm just trying to, you say Saturday, James. Uh, sorry, I didn't say Saturday, no. I said Saturday. <laughs> Oh, don't, oh, don't you don't, cheat. Don't go, don't go on my tweets. Twitter. No, no, no. I'm just thinking who, which championship clubs were playing at home on right, Saturday. Right, on Saturday. So I know that... Oh, okay, well, now I know I'm just that, giving you that one. I know that Hull lost at home, so I'm going to say Hull. Well, I'm afraid it's That's not Hull. That's got another Hull. silly name. Flo, do you want to answer yeah. it? Uh, It'll be London, so won't the, it? I'm the, an idiot. The stadium formerly known as the Majeski is now the catchy select car leasing stadium. Nice. It's caught on already. Excellent. All right, so with three out of five so far, here's your question six, Daniel. Which Danish player scored an own goal in the Euro 2020 semi-final against England? Who scored that own goal? Denmark against England, um, 2020 semi-final. I don't know why I'm thinking... Uh, uh, the player that came to mind was Hjulmund, but I don't even know if that's a player. I'll guess that. I don't know. It was Simon or Simon Kjær. Oh, God. Hmm. Uh. Apparently, three out of six for Daniel Story. How'd you feel, Daniel? That's bad, not getting that one. Uh, I mean, the Palace West Brom Palace thing has yeah. completely just destroyed me. Mm. But right. it turns well, out if you if you if you say Premier League, you mean Premier League, don't you? I mean, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right then. There's no well, Horncastle here, is what I'm saying. That's right. my fault. Three, three out of six. Flo Lloyd Hughes, are you ready? Ugh, I guess so. All right, Flo. Question one. You're going to hear a famous piece of football commentary played backwards. Can you identify the footballing moment it accompanied? Do you want to hear it again, Flo? Yeah, go on. I don't I don't know, sorry. Was it nineteen sixty six World Cup? No, it wasn't. That was gonna be my guess, but I didn't was it Jeff Hurst? No. Yes, I it guess was. it was. I think it's all over. Yeah. Was, was that it? I was thinking they think it's all over, but then I thought, I listened to it again, and I thought, the sentence is too long. It doesn't sound like <laughs> right. the sentence is long enough. Right. It was backwards, he, to be fair. He, <laughs> <laughs> also, he re-recorded it for World in Motion, where is, where, which is where a lot of people know it from. Somebody just basically just said, oh, Ken, can you just say this? And he, he did it, and, that's, and they stuck it on a record. No royalties. Uh, Shocking. Because I anyway. was just I was listening out for they think it's all over and then yes. I thought, well, there's too there's too many words here in this backwards mm. phrase, so it can't be that. Right. Well, it's n- it's not all over for you, Flo, because that's only question 1. Question 2, world record transfers. I'm going to give you that year, the fee and two clubs involved. Can you name the player who once set the world transfer record in 1999 between Lazio and Inter, from Lazio to Inter, for £32 million. 1999, Lazio to Inter, 
32 million pounds. What year, sorry, 1999? 1999. Um, sorry. Okay, the answer was Christian Vieri. Oh. Question three. At which Turkish club is Mishi on loan from Chelsea? It is correct. Question four. Which Spanish player scored an own goal from inside his own half against Croatia at Euro 2020? (laughs) I can't remember that game. Spanish player scoring an own goal from inside his own half at Euro 2020 against Croatia. Isco? No, it was Pedri. Was it? No, it wasn't. It God, was I don't Pedri. remember that game at all. Is there any? Is the wrong way? Like, I mean, it was Simon's own goal, really, wasn't it? Oh, okay, yeah, 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 yeah. Now, yeah, now that that fair. brings it back a little bit. Mm. I'll bring it back to what you have to do now with these final two questions, Flo. Question five. For which MLS team has Napoli's Lorenzo Insigne recently signed? Into Miami? (gasps) It's FC Toronto. Oh, bollocks. FC Toronto. And question six. Which championship club currently plays at the John Smith Stadium? Huddersfield. Is correct. Is correct. All right, Flo. Oh, I'm so annoyed about that first one. Yeah, I was going to say that first one's done you, hasn't it? Mm. I should have just gone with that guess, but I just thought, no, it's got. To... I thought it was like an FA Cup or something like that, and I thought I'm never going to know which FA Cup it is. So, uh. yeah, there you go, there you go, Flo. Sorry to 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 lose you. They're tough questions, but that's the intertotally at the quarterfinal stage, I guess. How do you feel? Yeah. It's it's a dog eat dog world, isn't it? Mm. All right. Currently wagging his tail. Daniel Story. Through you go, Daniel. You're in the semis. Uh, slightly between the legs rather than wagging, if I'm honest. Bravo, Daniel. You're through to the semi-finals of the Intertotally Cup. And if you also want a piece of Dan's bet that Wales will beat Austria after extra time, it's priced at the very easy to say 20 to 23 at paddypower.com and on the Paddy Power app. Prices are accurate at the time recording. It's over 18s only, and please gamble responsibly. Well, we'll have more quarterfinal fun coming up in Thursday's show, so look out for that. Many, many thanks for joining us today, albeit briefly, Flo. Look, looking forward to hearing you in the Totally Football League show later on on this Monday. Thanks very much, and uh, good luck, Daniel, in the uh, in the next round. Thank you, Flo. Very, very nice. And listen, that brings us to the end of our our little journey with uh, Totally today. So it's, it's thanks to you for being with us and to Dom and Adrian and Dan and producer Charlie. We'll be back on Thursday. Loads of good fun uh, to be had uh, with other podcasts in the meantime. So I hope you enjoyed those for now from all of us here. It's goodbye. You've been listening to The Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Listen ad-free on the Athletic app and discover bonus content by following the Athletic UK Audio Plus on Apple Podcasts. Find out the very latest subscription offers at theathletic.com slash totally. The Totally Football Show is an athletic media company production and sponsored by Paddy Power. Paddy Power.
The Athletic.